Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. I'm talking about a potential outside worker strike in Hamilton, the Auditor General's Greenbelt Report, and local realtors giving back to the community. Plus, the Ticats moving forward with a new offensive boss, and it's the anniversary of the biggest trade in hockey history. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It could be in just a couple of weeks' time all-out labor warfare in the city of Hamilton. That might be overselling it a little bit, but conciliation talks between the city of Hamilton and about 3,200 outside workers, or at least the union representing those outside workers, um, have failed. Those conciliation talks have failed. They haven't really gone anywhere as, as the union wants some more money for its workers, and the city is saying, yeah, we really don't have a lot of cash to give you. And so it is putting these outside workers in a legal strike position by August 21st. They could also be locked out at that time, too, if a new contract is not reached by that date. The Ontario Works Program is a pretty important part, public health. We have all the clerks where people pay taxes and tickets. We have forestry signs. We have roads, parks, waste collection, uh, many other departments in the outside recreation uh, the summer splash pads and pools as well. A lot of a lot of services would be affected by a work stoppage, as you heard from CUPE Local 5167 President Jay Hunter. From a political standpoint, for the mayor and council, who are, let's face it, in the line of fire when it comes to issues like this, rightfully or wrongfully, how do they handle this? What is the political fallout, or is there any? Larry Deany is a former mayor of the city of Hamilton and a former school principal, a lobbyist in the city of Hamilton as well, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Larry, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm fine, Rick. Um, how are you this morning? So this is what it's like getting up so early in the morning. <laughs> yes, this is what it feels like. I got to ask you, were there any work stoppages when you were in power in the city? No, no, there were not. Uh, we did uh, the dance uh, as well in terms of uh, uh, the negotiations dance. And I, I use the word um, um, uh, carefully because it is a serious matter. But but there is a procedure to it as well that's almost predictable, uh, which is that uh, people complain that the sides are far apart. Uh, uh, and then within the last uh, two weeks, uh, the last week, uh, the last few days, they seem to hammer out an agreement, and hopefully it'll be the case in this uh, situation as well. But no, I, I cannot remember the last time uh, that there was a work st- stoppage. I think I think the last one that I remember preceded me and and, and the amalgamated council uh, when there was a, an HSR strike. I believe Terry Cook was the uh, the regional chairman at the time, and uh, and uh, there was a. A huge labor disruption then. I can't remember any since then. As an elected official, how much input does the mayor or even a councillor or two or all the councillors have on negotiations? Or, or do they have no impact or some impact? Oh, well, they always have an impact because they are the ones that sort of set the rules um, for negotiations based on staff advice. Uh, and then they are also informed along the way uh, and eventually have to ratify uh, through staff and and uh, officially as well have to ratify the deal at council. So the ultimate decision is uh, is the political one. Um, but even if it weren't so, you know, the politicians always get the credit or the blame, and it's usually blame in this situation because uh, if there's a work stoppage, of course, the politicians would be under pressure 
uh, to make sure that those services are still delivered. Uh, and if there's a settlement, the politicians will be criticized because uh, that's tax money that's being spent to pay uh, those higher salaries, and uh, you always get the blame. So it's almost a, a no-win situation. Um, but but if you look at the right side of the telescope uh, on this issue, it's all about the provision of services that we've come to expect. We want our, our grass uh, cut uh, in our parks. Uh, we want uh, bylaw to uh, enforce infractions. Uh, we want our garbage, especially our uh, in the summertime, uh, we and uh, we want our trash to be picked up on a weekly basis regularly. So these are services that cost money. And and let's face it, uh, any municipality is a a people-driven uh, enterprise uh, because people uh, provide those services and then they expect a good wage as well. And, so you got to strike the fair balance. And but po- politically, you always get you're always on the hot seat. Yeah, well, obviously, and and because those services are very much needed. Uh, how much pressure, we only got about a minute of this, how much pressure is put on the city to make a deal work? Because it, it seems like the union has a little bit of leverage because if they go on strike, well, you know, these services are not going to happen. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and and of course, the union is putting on the pressure here in, in a public way. The council isn't going out uh, making statements. Uh, they're working through staff in at the negotiating table. <clears throat> but I noticed that the union is also having a big rally on the 16th, according to some of the information that I've read in front of City Hall. Uh, Hall and that's to ratchet up the pressure uh, on the political side to, to get a deal and to try to get some public sentiment on their side. At the end of the day, the deal will have to be struck at the bargaining table. And my guess is that nobody will be happy. The union will say it's still not enough. Uh, even though they might accept it at the end of the day. And council will say, well, it's a little too much, uh, but they'll have to accept it at the end of the day. And hopefully uh, the city will keep uh, on providing its services. Well, we'll see how it all pans out. Larry, appreciate your insight into this. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Larry Deany is the former mayor of the city of Hamilton from 2003 to 06. My gosh, 20 years ago he was elected. Uh, also a former school principal and lobbyist in the city of Hamilton. Been on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Ontario's Auditor General expected to release a report later on this morning into the provincial government's Greenbelt Development Plan today. We know where the Premier stands. Unequivocally, we won't touch the Greenbelt. Unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the Greenbelt. We won't touch the Greenbelt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. Wait a minute, that, that was when he stood back in 2018. Now he's done like a 180 and he wants to tear up big portions of the Green Belt, build a lot of homes that we, we need. And yeah, we desperately need these homes. One and a half million homes over the next 10 years is the plan. And Premier Ford is asking developers to build on the Green Belt. Well, just yesterday, Mr. Ford tweeted, quote, We have two choices. We can sit back and ignore Ontario's housing crisis, or we can build more homes. Our government is choosing to build a preemptive strike as Bonnie Lissick, the Auditor General, gets set later on this morning to unveil her Greenbelt report. It comes six months after her so-called value-for-money audit into the government's decision to open up these Greenbelt lands, 15 parcels of land, including some here in the Hamilton area. Alan S. Hale is the Ontario Legislator Reporter at Queen's Park today and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Alan, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm good. What are you expecting to hear later on this morning from Ms. Lissick? 
Well, I don't know if I can really speculate about what exactly is going to be in this audit, but I think it's fair just to say at this point that it is going to be significant based on like what the uh, government's reaction has been so far. Uh, you mentioned that tweet uh, yesterday about having two choices. That was something that uh, almost every cabinet minister <laughs> retweeted in some form and repeated in some form or another, and it does seem like it's laying the groundwork for a rebuttal to this uh, to this report, um, there was also apparently a very lengthy meeting at uh, the Queen's Park last night among PCs about uh, how they were going to respond to this today. And the Premier himself is doing a press conference at one to respond to this report instead of sending a minister, which sort of also <laughs> says a lot about how seriously they are taking whatever's in this report. So we'll be, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I think, quite interesting. Um, It'll probably, if I had to guess, it'll probably have some information about how the, the properties in the Greenbelt that were removed from protection were chosen, and it probably that information is not going to support the, what the, the government has been saying about that position, about that decision, that it was sort of out of their hands, that it was done by civil servants, they didn't know, and there's no way it could have been leaked to uh, property developers. But I guess we'll see, and I'll be getting my copy in about 15 minutes. It sounds like this report could have the potential to be a big blow to the Ford brand, because Ford has said, you know, there's there's nothing to hide here. But in the same sense, he's also um, said that, you know, this the, the scope of this is beyond the Auditor General's scope. And, and it sounds like even before this day came, he was already in damage control. Well, it certainly seems to be the case. I, I agree. Um, it is, I mean, it, we've seen already seen one poll where there, a majority of, re, on, of respondents in Ontario think that that Premier Four is doing, making decisions that aren't in the best um, interests of uh, Ontarians and they're doing what's best for his, uh, his friends. The line, the uh, NDP and the Liberals have been pushing for a while, and I think BBCs have a danger of it to really taking hold in people's minds. And if this Greenbelt policy is shown to be uh, in keeping with that pattern, then it's going to be really bad for them. Like, this is like one of those bread and butter gravy train, stop the gravy train kind of issues. And, I mean, if this is, supports at all what the uh, and people have been suspecting, that this was a, a gift to people who, you know, have uh, basically been at his daughter's wedding, it's, uh, it's going to be really, really bad, and I, they, I'm not surprised that they're trying to come up with some kind of, like, response to it. We're talking about today's Greenbelt uh, announcement from the Auditor General in Ontario, Bonnie Lissick, later on this morning, will unveil her uh, value-for-money audit into the government's decisions in the lead-up to this uh, decision about the green belts being made, and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Alan S. Hale, Ontario legislator reporter with Queens Park Today. Regarding those questions about you know select developers or developers being selected by the government, were given advance notice of the government's plans. If that is the case, and that and Bonnie Lissick says this actually happened. What do you think that does to the Greenbelt development plan? Does it kill it? Does it pause it? Does it slow it down? What's your best guess? Now, I'm going to temper some expectations here. I do not think this report will make that conclusion. I think the report, more than likely, the report will 
give us some information, some more information about how the uh, these properties were selected and for and why, and that alone could be a big story. But I, but let's say that is it is what happens. Like she definitively turns up proof that like this was leaked to developers by somebody. Um, man, it would be. I don't think unless the government decided to back off of its decision in light of that, which I'm not entirely sure that it would happen. They would, I think the, their tweet yesterday sort of shows that they are willing to go to the mat on this one, that they still think this was the right choice. But I mean, every single, um, anytime those. I think Alan's phone is breaking up. Alan, you still with this us? Gonna be, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're back with us. All right. Anytime these property developers come to looking for an approval from city count from a city council site, this is going to be looming over them. Like, are you corrupt? Are we supporting a corrupt development? Like, it's going to make the process of um, getting of getting anything built there definitely harder, and like, it's going to make it just that much more uncomfortable for everybody involved. But unless the government decides that. In light of this, it's going to scrap this decision. I don't think it will stop anything. It might slow it down, make make for some very uncomfortable situations and optics, but unless the government decides to turn tail on it, I don't think it will stop development on the Green Belt. Yeah, you're probably right on that one. Alan, really appreciate your insight into this, and uh, enjoy the day. Thank you so much. Alan S. Hale is Ontario Legislator Reporter with Queen's Park Today. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Got a tweet from Great Scott who says, if you look at a map of Stony Creek, there is Greenbelt land less than a kilometer from new subdivisions being built. Walmart, Canadian Tire, medical buildings, but the land isn't touched. How are these decisions being made? That just might be part of today's Auditor General report. We shall see. Jeff Pakin is the president of New Horizon Development Group and joins us now on GMH. Jeff, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Rick. Nice to be here. First off, does New Horizon have any planned developments for former Greenbelt land? Are you in on the fun? We have one small piece that was in the Greenbelt and was removed, yes, in Grimsby right on the waterfront. And it's a very interesting story that's probably too long to tell you here, (laughs) but uh, it was a children's summer camp uh, affiliated with a particular church for about 70 years. And the town of Grimsby actually had asked to trade its Greenbelt status for another piece of Greenbelt status about five years ago. And uh, the province did not trade it out that time, but did take the extra land and put it into the Greenbelt. And this time they decided it didn't make sense to have that as part of it. It's a small piece right on the waterfront. So that's our our interest. Was there a bidding process with that? And, and if so, what was it like? Uh, there was a, a number of people that were approached by uh, people in the know that it was going to be sold. And yes, so we put our best foot forward about three different times and uh, eventually we're fortunate enough to be the lucky bidders. So later on this morning, Auditor General Bonnie Lissick will uh, unleash her report on, on the green belts. Could could today's report alter how or even when all this land is developed? It's a very good question. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the boundaries that were in place for the last 18 years since the Greenbelt's been uh, invented um, were very broad-based. And 
there was a lot of mistakes made. And when I say mistakes, I mean fully serviceable, fully serviced land that was adjacent to development or in some cases where you have, you know, a 50-acre parcel and 30 of it is good to develop and the other 20 isn't. And it's just, um, it, it's done with a randomness that never made sense. And there was a, a, a lack of process to do anything about it. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the town of Grimsby had offered a trade-up because they wanted this property on the waterfront to be developed. They wanted a waterfront park to be part of it for their community. And prior to our ownership, they uh, they wrote a letter to the province asking for them to consider changing the boundaries. And it's not a big parcel. It's uh, 14 acres. So uh, there's there's lots of individual pieces that, that are, you know, green-belted that from a practicality and scientific point of view don't belong. So there, there should be a review of the process and what comes next. We got uh, another 90 seconds with Jeff Pakin, President, New Horizon Development Group, as we talk about today's impending Greenbelt report from the Auditor General. The province has a plan to build 1.5 million homes in 10 years. How big of a factor will developing the Greenbelt be in that math? Well, if you consider that new Canadians are looking for the kind of housing that they perceive to be in our country for them when they make the decision to move here, uh, and if the population grows, we just need more houses, period. Uh, we can't keep up to the demand as it is today. And, you know, I turn the clock back to when I started my career and we built four fully furnished model homes and let prospective customers go through them. And we were all doing the same thing at the time in our industry. And now demand has so outstripped supply that you have a sales trailer with, you know, paper, and that's how people find out what they want to buy. So uh, if we're going to build a million and a half homes, things have to drastically change. But I always, you know, mention to people, if you ever take off in a plane from Hamilton Airport, you realize there is a vast amount of green, and it's very close to our city. And, you know, with the urban expansion that was planned by the planning department of the city of Hamilton and then supported by the province, you know, it's a 30 or 40 or 50 year time frame to get the kind of population and housing availability that will make Hamilton continue to thrive and prosper. So that's, that's what's going to be required and uh, everybody seems to know it. Jeff, I appreciate your time and your insight into this. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Rick. All the best. Jeff Bacon is the president of New Horizon Development Group. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're building homes in this community. We need more homes in this community. And we need more shelter spaces as well. And it is a, it's tough sledding for local organizations like Good Shepherd and others to provide these shelter spaces. But... The Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington is inviting these local shelter-based charities like Good Shepherd to apply for a grant from the Ontario Realtors Care Foundation. Here to talk about it is Nicholas Von Bredo. He's the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. Nicholas, good morning. How are you? Good morning, sir. I'm doing well. Thank you. What kind of grants are available for these shelter-based charities to access? So here in the Hamilton Burlington area, we have roughly $50,000 to give out this year. And these grants can be provided to any um, registered charities that provide shelter and refuge to Ontarians across our um, city and our area. And um, it's anything with regards to protection from the effects of hunger, elements, abuse, disabilities, and illnesses. So I think last year we provided uh, 
funding to 20 local charities, which helped um, different members of our community. Wow, that is awesome. So what is the criteria? The criteria is that you have to be a registered charity that supports the Ontario uh, Ontarians across our province in regards to shelter um, sheltered needs. So it's a lot of our community members that um, we have had seen better days, who need to have hunger, um, need some need some shelter from the elements, or have um, need had um, experience sorry experienced some abuse and need to um, find some own shelter to get away from that. So this is through the Ontario Realtors Care Foundation. How do these charities apply for the funding? So these charities can apply through. Um, the Realtors Association Hamilton Burlington's website. We have a grant application there, and that the deadline to apply is September first, twenty twenty three, and then the funding will be provided throughout the fall. Okay, that website is rahb.ca. You can find the link on the website. Why is it important for local realtors to give back like this? Well, for our local realtors in the Hamilton Burlington region, I mean, we do a lot of work with our community and we feel this is a great way to support our community and the shelters that are out there. In regards to what is happening in the community housing wise, what is the outlook for the rest of this year? The first half of 2023 has gone by. If you were to gaze into your crystal ball, what does it tell you? No, I wish I had a crystal ball. (laughs) (laughs) No, I believe, I mean, we've got a market which is getting stronger and stronger. I mean, our biggest challenge is still inventory. There isn't much inventory out there. And I mean, with the interest rate increases that we had in uh, June and July, that did put a bit of a damper on some of the um, buyers out there and what they're looking for. So we'll see how the fall turns out. But I believe it's going to be a stronger market than we've seen so far this year. Is it more of a balanced market right now? Um, absolutely. It is a more of a balanced market than we saw during the peaks during COVID. About the same time, as I mentioned earlier, our inventory challenges are still um, the biggest issue right now. Is there's just not enough um, listings on the market for the amount of demand that's out there. I mean, some buyers have stepped back because the interest rate increases, but there are still more buyers and sellers out there. So when properties do come onto the market, there is um, substantial interest quite often on them. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Nicholas Von Bredo, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. A reminder to any local shelter-based charities, you can apply for a grant from the Ontario Realtors Care Foundation online at rahb.ca. We're going to get a look at the Auditor General's Greenbelt reports today. Do you think it's going to have any impact on whether or not the housing supply is going to be built on those lands? I really don't know. That's more of a political question, which I try not to get involved in. But I mean, the Greenbelt is a a great entity that we have across our province. But there are um, small components of it that I do recognize as maybe our properties that shouldn't be in it. And there's other properties maybe across the province that should be in it. So I mean, reviewing it, I'm not against that, but developing on it, let's see what the um, what the politicians feel. Mm-hmm. Last one for you. There's been a lot of talk about converting buildings to housing, whether it's, you know, schools that are no longer open or downtown office space that is now vacant. How do you see that playing out in this community? What challenges or opportunities are there? Well, I think there's some great opportunities as, I mean, there is a lot of office space that is vacant currently. I mean, coming out of COVID with a lot of the hybrid workforce that provides, uh, that is now allowing more office space to maybe possibly be converted to residential. And I mean, we do have a, a di- some corridors, some major corridors, commercial corridors in our city that are maybe struggling a bit. So that might be an opportunity for some of those landowners to do some conversions there and provide more housing to some of the people who are in need. Could be, could be a big opportunity for sure. Nicholas, we'll Absolutely. leave it there. Thanks for your time today and thanks for sharing news about the Ontario Realtors Care Foundation.
Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That's Nicholas Von Bredo, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. And a reminder to those local shelter-based charities, you can apply for a grant from the Ontario Realtors Care Foundation online, rahb.ca. There's a link smack dab right on that website. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Monday night, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats made a move that many fans had been pleading for for, for quite some time. To be honest, the team bidding farewell to offensive coordinator Tommy Condell. They announced that senior assistant coach Scott Milanovic would take over the play calling duties. Is this a change that the sub 500 Tie Cats need to get them back on track? And what will Milanovic bring to Hamilton's offense? Well, here's a guy who knows a thing or two, not only about football, but certainly about Scott Milanovic and how he is as a head coach. Mike Hogan, he's the manager of communications and the play-by-play announcer for the Toronto Argonauts on TSN 1050. Hoagie, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm very good because the Argos are in first place and the Ticats aren't. How's that? I've got that out of the way. Ah, Well, I have to <laughs> reply with the obligatory Argos suck. Yeah, it was there. I deserve that one. I deserve that one. You teed it up. You teed it up. First off, what do you think of the switcheroo on the Ticats coaching staff? Well, I think with any team that's struggling, you expect something to happen. You know, uh, I watch games from afar, and I'm not going to comment on a coaching situation on another team. But, um, you know, when a team in any sport struggles, you expect something to happen. So um, the Ticats are not playing up to the record that they certainly expected to have at this stage of the season. There are a myriad of reasons for that. An injured quarterback may be first and foremost, but um, I guess you expect something to happen. So it's it's not really a surprise. And having listened to the fifth quarter as much as uh, as I have uh, after Ticat games, I know that your fan base is probably a little happy about this. What kind? Because you have intricate knowledge and intimate knowledge of Scott Milanovic. You know he was on the Argos coaching staff, came in in 2012, won the Grey Cup in his rookie season. What kind of coach are the Tie Cats players getting? They're getting a, a guy who is a very strong offensive mind and a really good quarterbacks coach. Um, what whatever he has to work with, and I think it's going to change over the course of the next few weeks as players are in and out of the lineup, as guys get healthy again, your QBs one and two, um, you, you know, you're, you're going to be in really good hands. And not saying you weren't before in Tommy, but sometimes a, a different guy is going to come in and see something a little bit differently. And while Scott was working as an advisor, you know, he was based in the States. He wasn't up here. So now that he's going to be hands-on with guys on a daily basis, um, he's a very good teacher. Uh, so I think you're going to see some improvement there. And it's just, you know, if, if if he's on the same page with whoever's running the offense um, in terms of what they're seeing, I think you've got a, you're going to have a really good chance to, to get the offense going again. Um, you know, one thing Scott did really well when he came here in 2012, hey, he surrounded himself with a hell of a staff. I mean, you look at the head coaching in the CFL and 44% of the head coaches in the CFL were on that staff with Steinauer and and Jones and, and Moss and O'Shea. Um, so he surrounded himself with good people and went out and got themselves a good quarterback in Ricky Ray. And then he figured out how to use Chad Owens the best way that he could. And Chad ended up being the most outstanding player in the league that year. So, um, he's going to look at what you have there. Um, I assume he'll try and get Tim White involved a little bit more. That's just a guess on my part and, and we'll see what happens, but, uh, he's, he's a really good football mind and I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with that offense. 
Mike Hogan is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mike is the manager of communications and play-by-play -play announcer with the Toronto Argonauts on TSN 1050. They are 6-1 and one on the season. They're hosting 3-5 and five Ottawa this Sunday night at 7 at BMO Field. If you can make it out to BMO Field, great place to watch a football game for sure, especially uh, an intra-division battle. Is Milanovic a player's coach or, or, or is he a coach where they have to fit his system or it's not going to work out? How would you describe from that standpoint? I, I think he's a guy who demands a lot from his players and in a good way. Um, guys will respond to him. Uh, I think he's a very likable coach, but he doesn't suffer fools gladly, uh, at least when he was here. Like, the, the, what, what year was he here last? Like, 2016? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's been eight, eight seasons, roughly, since he's been here. So, um, I don't know how he's evolved as a person and as a coach, but he was pretty no-nonsense. I can remember him a couple of times getting into it with players on the sideline because they weren't doing what was expected. Um, so he, he he demands a lot. So if guys are willing to buy what he's selling, uh, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's no reason to think that he can't, you know, get a little bit of life injected into the Hamilton offense. And, uh, you know, you're, you're getting a good guy and a really good football coach. Milanovic is a three-time Grey Cup champion. We mentioned 2012 with the Argos as head coach. He was the OC in Montreal yep. in 09-2010 with Anthony Calvillo and, and Mark Cressman and that juggernaut of a team. For those players in the Ticats locker room, who do you think is most excited to have Milanovic in his new role? I don't know. What, I, I, I think that maybe it's Tim White, the guy that I mentioned earlier, because, you know, I, Natea Jay, when he was doing the broadcast with me, used to think I was the president of the Tim White fan club. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that guy is just a dynamite football player. And Scott's going to find out who his best players are, whether it's White or somebody else. And he's going to try and find a way to get them involved the most. Um, you know, it's if you got a big gun, you don't leave it in the holster. And, and I think that's one thing that he's going to bring. He may think it's somebody else. He may look at somebody who's maybe not – um, a, a, a player that fans see on the roster right now as being a major contributor and say, I, know, I we can use this guy, which is kind of, I guess, the good thing of bringing in a fresh set of eyes in midseason. You know, you're going to, he's going to see something that Tommy didn't see or is going to be able to do something a little bit differently than Tommy did. And I'm not saying that's, you know, that's not a knock on Tommy. I thought Tommy did a great job, especially in the first half last week. Uh, I thought he did a dynamite job. Of, of taking what was given him. And, um, you know, I think Scott's going to gonna do that. And, and it might be White. It might be, you know, somebody else on the roster that's flying under the radar a little bit. But Scott will find a way to utilize his best players. Um, again, I'll point to Chad Owens and just, you know, what he did for that kid. And it certainly helped when Ricky Ray came in in, in 2012. But, uh, you know, he'll find a guy with a lot of talent and find how best to utilize that talent. Sounds very much like what June Jones did for Brandon Banks offensively. Banks was a superb yeah. special teams guy, as we all know. And June Jones said, hey, let's unlock this weapon on offense. Uh, before I let you go, uh, we got about a minute left. I want to ask you about the Argos. They're coming off a loss. First loss of the year. How do you think they respond Sunday versus the Red Blacks? Well, we'll find out. Uh, you know, the, the, the team looked flat. Um, Coach Dinwiddie called them out uh, as a group after the game. Uh, wasn't happy with the, with what they were doing, used the term sleepwalking. And, you know, this team wasn't going to go 18-0. and 0. 
Uh, you know, it's the expectations became pretty high, and maybe the guys, as Milanovic alluded to, were starting to believe the the, the press clippings a little bit, for lack of a better term. And uh, this, it was a good reality check. And luckily, from an Argonaut perspective, it came against a team in the West, so uh, it wasn't a four point loss; it was a two point loss. And and we'll see what kind of response they have on Sunday against Ottawa. And as you mentioned, tickets available at Argonauts.ca. Should be an exciting game, Hoagie. Uh, best of luck this weekend, and we'll chat down the road. We'll see you on Labor Day. Mike Hogan of the Argonauts teeing up a, a big clash this weekend and uh, other big games on tap in the CFL and what we can expect from Scott Milanovic. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, it was 35 years ago today. Man, does time ever fly? That superstar Wayne Gretzky was traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles. For the benefit of Wayne Gretzky, my new wife and our expected child in the new year that it would be beneficial for everyone involved to let let me play with the Los Angeles Kings. National Hockey League uh, was forever changed after this trade. There's no doubt about that. Scott Radley is the host of the Scott Radley Show, which you can hear weeknights from 6 until 8 here on 900 CHML and a columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. And uh, odds are, was surprised as everyone else was 35 years ago today, August 9th, 1988, when Wayne Gretzky was traded. Scott, was this a where were you type of moment for you? Uh, you know what? It, it, to me, it's a yes, yes. But to me, it's a much more significant event in retrospect. When you look back and what it did to change hockey. Um, yeah, at the moment it was shocking for everybody, and I mean, you remember that uh, I can't remember the name, but one of the an MP tried to get it banned that Wayne Gretzky had to play in Canada. I mean, there was all kinds of weird stuff that was happening. But think of the, the ways that the NHL changed that day. So first of all, you've got Wayne Gretzky taking the hit for Peter Pocklington because when you hear that clip, it wasn't by all accounts now it was not Wayne Gretzky's choice. I don't think he minded it, but it wasn't, you know, he was sort of making it sound like Janet Jackson and he were the Yoko Onos of the NHL and off we go. That, it turns out that wasn't really true. Beyond that, it showed that anybody can be traded. It created a new hockey market in the south of the states that didn't really exist in any real way before then. But maybe, and that, that would be the biggest, but the second biggest thing that it did is, you know, Peter Pocklington, as much as he was, and in some cases still is hated by Edmonton fans, he was ahead of the curve on this one because part of the reason for this was we have to trade this guy while he is at his maximum value. We can't let him, you don't know when a guy's going to, and he still had good years left, you don't know when someone's going to drop off, but how many players now, Rick, superstars over the years since then, have been traded when they were still really good players because you didn't want their value to diminish and you had to move them before they were a devalued asset. Or you were a small market team and you wanted to get while the getting was good. I mean, Gretzky was 27 at the time. Yeah, no, and he had many, many great years left. But this was, I can't think of one before this. There might have been, but I can't think of one before this where it was clear that this, and, and Pocklington was interviewed and he talked about it. There's, there's interviews with him where he said, we can't let Gretzky become a devalued asset. Yeah. And then we're left with nothing to account for. Now, 
nothing to count for. You had all the years of Wayne Gretzky playing with the Edmonton Oilers. That's something. But uh, it's a, it really opened. I mean, how, again, how many other players do you look at then and say, yeah, they were traded. I don't know if they would have been traded if this precedent or this example hadn't been set where people said, yeah, that's what you do. You move a guy when he's still really good to make sure you get the most for him. Uh, we got about a minute. Do you know the story of where Gretzky was when he found out about the trade the night before? I have heard, yeah, you tell it, but I, I have heard this story. It's a good one. So he was at Alan Thicke's house babysitting Robin Thicke because Alan Thicke was in Norway with his other son um, shooting a, a, a movie or a show or, or whatever. So Wayne and Janet were at Alan Thicke's house babysitting future music superstar Robin Thicke the night he found out he was going to Los Angeles. That's, that's pretty Robin crazy. Robin Thicke was the guy who took the phone call from Bruce McDowell to say, go <laughs> wake up Wayne yeah. because he has to get to the phone. And Robin Thicke was like 10 or 11. And was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> they were like, no, you got to go get him up. But it's, again, you know, if you, in retrospect, that was a shocking day at the time. But in retrospect, there are so many ways this changed hockey. Some for the better. Uh, some maybe not for the better, but it, it boy, it was, uh, I don't know, it, it, the day that they announced expansion, perhaps, back in 67, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what other day you would put up there as having this many impacts on the game. Yeah, well, it was a massive impact for sure. Scott, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll hear from you uh, guest hosting Hamilton today, later on at uh, 3 till 6 this afternoon. Have a great day. Thanks, Rick. Scott Radley is the host of The Scott Radley Show, which you can hear weeknights 6 to 8 here on 900 CHML, also a columnist with The Hamilton Spectator. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.